Hey there, Osman Faruqi here, the editor of 7am. Today on the show, we're replaying one of our favourite episodes of the year so far. It's a conversation with author and farmer Bruce Pascoe about what we can learn from Indigenous farming techniques to create a more sustainable Australia. We'll be back with new episodes in your feed from tomorrow. See you then. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. For the past three years, author and farmer Bruce Pascoe has been trying to establish a sustainable practice on his land. Informed by the Indigenous farming techniques he researched for his bestseller, Dark Emu, he's also trying to undo the damaging legacy inflicted through decades of post-colonial practices. Today, Bruce Pascoe, on the way to save Australia's land and economy. Bruce Pascoe speaking. Hi, Bruce Pascoe. It's Ruby Jones. How you going, Ruby? I'm pretty good. How are you going? Not too bad. This phone line sounds quite good. Um, I was curious as to how clear it would sound, but this, yeah. Yeah, so I've got satellite here. Um, can be tricky at times, but when it's going well, it um, is pretty good. Okay, well, let's roll with it then, Bruce. Um, could you start by telling me about where you are and, and what you can see? Well, we're on the Wallagra River here. The farm is called Yumbara, which is black duck, the central totem of Yuan people. This is a, a system of rivers, Maramingo, Jinor, Wallagra, which flow into the Malakuta Lakes. It's an incredibly beautiful country. It would have broken your heart last night to look out over the rivers and feel the air like silk. It was just absolutely gorgeous country and has been damaged by farming. We're trying to farm it in a more sensitive way that looks after the soil and so that we can enjoy this country forever. Mm. Can you tell me a bit more about the farm, about what you actually do and, and, and what it's like there? Well, it was an old buggered up farm and was the only farm I could afford. This happens to be on the Wallagra River and um, it's very good land, and we kicked off all the cattle so that we could rejuvenate the land. And so now we're growing monong, yam daisy, arthropodium, vanilla lily, bulbine lily, several other kinds of tubers, and we're also growing the grasses. So we're, we're harvesting four or five different grasses here, which are grasses natural to the area, but we're helping them compete with introduced grasses. And we're making progress with that. And so we're converting that grass harvest into flour and baking bread with it. So now we're trying to grow food, grow Aboriginal food, which doesn't need the applications of excess water, fertilised pesticide, weedicide, for instance. But we're trying to build up soil health as well and show that farm economies can be improved by cutting down expenditure on chemicals. So in doing that, we're working with the land, and we're, we're trying to recover the soil health here that was ruined by hard-hoofed cattle, but also applications of superphosphate compaction by machinery. We're trying to be far more conscious 
of where we travel with our vehicles. We're now trying to recover the tilth of the soil, so that's its softness, as well as its fertility. We shouldn't be at war with the land. We need to work more cooperatively with the land, and we've been fortunate that we can do that so we, we don't try and struggle with the land, we try and go with the land. And so it's a long project and, you know, we've only just begun, but we know what we're trying to do. Mm. And so is the is the bigger idea here to to show how this can be done, to show how farming can be sustainable in Australia by using these practices that work with the land and also undo some of the impact of European colonisation and those methods of farming? Yeah, it's just um, an attempt to show it another way. We can't switch over to this straight away because we still need to produce food for people. But there are many farmers, particularly on marginal land, who are adopting these ideas. And our aim here is to make sure that Aboriginal people are included so that we don't get told by a judge in the future that our culture has been washed away by the tide of history. That's been said to us before and it was very damaging for the Yorta Yorta people, for instance. We don't want to ever be told that in a court of law again. And so creating the farm in this way, employing Aboriginal people, using the old plants and using the old methods is our way of retaining our culture and retaining our rights to land. Mm. And I wanted to ask you a bit more about the process involved in actually being able to get to this future that you're outlining. Do you think that our political system would allow for it or what kind of change do you see as necessary? I think we need change and that change I think will be driven by consumers but also by farmers because once farmers realise there's a demand for these products, some farmers will move towards the supply of those products. And at that point, the government's not even involved because people have made up their mind at the supermarket that they want this type of food. So the supermarket will react and so will the farmer. They might react slowly, but they'll act and the government will fall in line. I think there's a movement afoot in Australia and around the world for greater care of the land. I think the excesses of pastoralism and inappropriate farming have caught the attention of young people in particular and people who want better food security and better treatment of the soil and the water resources. I'm encouraged by that uh, enthusiasm to think that What is now a niche market for better food uh, will become more general and um, the will of the people um, and their food tastes will cause change. So now is the time for us to adjust the economic system we use, not eliminate it and not become poverty-stricken in the process, but to prosper into the future. Because as a, a lot of agricultural philosophers around the world are saying, we are destroying our soil by our current methods. So it's only a small change to do things more sensitively for the earth. But because people need food, 
we can always supply that food and our economy will prosper. It won't look the same, but it will prosper. We'll be back after this. Bruce, a few years ago when you were researching materials that eventually formed your book, Dark Emu, you started reading these explorer journals, so first-hand accounts of of life at the time of colonisation. And when you started reading those journals and, and reading the accounts in them of Indigenous farming, accounts that had largely been ignored by contemporary Australia, what was that like? How did it feel? Well, on many occasions I cried in frustration at seeing the such incredibly important information in journals that was denied me as a student. But it, it was a shock, you know, to read about, you know, grasses as high as a horse's saddle, that people were converting into flower, tuber paddocks that stretched to the horizon, all of that stuff I didn't know. And as an Australian, I would have loved to have known it. And as Australians, we should revel in this knowledge and uh, try and replicate it. But when we replicate it, we must include Aboriginal people. And your work, Dark Emu, is a bestseller now. So why do you think that it has had the success that it has? I think the country was on the way to a philosophical rebellion and we stood on the shoulders of, you know, people like Stan Grant, like Marcia Langton, like Charlie Perkins. We can only do what we do because of the work those people did. But now there's a a real enthusiasm for change in the world and not just in Australia. The idea of caring for the environment is relatively modern. And in, in the past, our religions, world religions, were telling us that we had dominion over the earth. And now we're reflecting on that and understanding that our dominion has actually caused destruction because we're not God and we don't understand the complexity. So it would be better for us if we were a bit more modest and looked after things a little bit better and and trusted the earth instead of trying to force the earth to our will. We've worked so hard in this country to turn it into England and she doesn't want to do that. She is not England. And we can't ask her to keep on growing potatoes with a drying climate. We can grow potatoes, but they might be Aboriginal potatoes. Mm. And, Bruce, along with the success of Darking New, there was also backlash. Where do you think that that comes from? Well, I'll tell you where it comes from. This backlash comes from ultra-conservatives who want things to remain exactly as they are, who have deep faith in European religion, politics and economics and deep faith in uh, industrial agriculture. And that's where the backlash began. Right, okay. And so moving on from that, Bruce, and, and talking again about the work that you're doing on your farm, has this work come out of the research and come out of the book Dark Emu? Is this all part of this same journey that you've been on? Yeah, it is. You know, it's obviously come out of research for dark emu. It's also come from mates, you know, who farm differently. You know, I've got a mate who 
lost everything in the fires 30, 40 years ago and started growing some of these grasses because that's all he could do. And he's made a living out of it. You know, that's an inspiration for us. You know, I've got some long-haired hippie mates who, when I gave them seed, started growing tubers and they learned a lot. And, you know, they're doing quite well out of them now. So it, it's come out of what I did at Dark Emia, but also out of down-to-earth farmers, down-to-earth growers, and enthusiasm amongst young people for change. Mm. How are you feeling about where you're at and, and the future of your farm, given the journey that we've just been talking about and, you know, and the things that you've weathered? I feel exhausted. That's how I feel. I'm 73. It wasn't my ambition to be still driving tractors at this age. I love tractors. I've used them a lot in my life. But that's not what I want to do. I want a gentler, more reflective life, to tell you the truth. But I don't think I'm going to get it because we need we need this farm to work. We need to show Australia that it's possible to make a, a farm work and be kinder to the soil at the same time. And we need to show Australians that growing food doesn't require endless amounts of water. We need to rebel against the manipulation of our water supply, e.g. the Murray-Darling Basin, where cotton farmers have captured the water and denied it to towns and farms downstream. And we always act surprised that the fish die. There's no surprise about it. We always blame drought. We blame our country for this happening. That river has been flowing for millions of years, unimpeded until now. It's our fault. So... We shouldn't act surprised. We should do something about it. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm hoping that Aboriginal communities can benefit from it, but that young Aboriginal people can involve themselves in this and become the experts in it again so that they train up as horticulturalists, they learn from the old people just as one of our people working here introduced us to a plant we didn't even know about the other day and showed us how we could eat it, that our young Aboriginal people can lead the way in this and make sure that our planet is protected. We've only got one planet, Leon Musk or whatever his name is. Elon. Elon, is it? He won't take his private spaceship to Mars or something like that with a lot of billionaires. Well, bye-bye. See you later. I'm staying here. Bruce, thank you so much for talking to me today. No worries. Catch you later. This episode is based on a speech Bruce Pascoe has written for the Diagribble Argument, presented by the Wheeler Centre. You can read a version of it in this week's edition of The Saturday Paper.